John, it's great to be back with you and uh, share with you again today. And I'm just kind of curious, uh, after we used, uh, or you went out to use what I taught you about your flesh, I want to know uh, what happened. Well, I'm really excited. This has really been helpful. And I, I saw one major victory. It uh, wasn't perfect at all, but it's uh, real encouraging because I saw that what you were talking about really did work and mm -hmm. that there is a victory through Christ and That's his great. spirit can uh, give you know, me the power I need. So I'm real excited. Wonderful. That's one thing so true. Um, when you put biblical truth into practice, it works. This rather exciting thing. And, and of course, we're growing. It doesn't happen immediately. That's why this growing in grace is being transformed. It really takes a whole lifetime of walking with the Lord in truth. Well, that's great. I'm, I'm real pleased about what's happened so far. You feel like you're gaining some insights? And I think know, so. Those three steps, can, can you relate them to me for dealing? Let's take anger, for example. Okay, well, that, that was the thing that I saw uh, victory in. But uh, I'm so, can we pray about this before we get going? That'd be great. Father, thank you for uh, what you are teaching me and how you've helped me through uh, Mark. And, and I ask that I would uh, continue to learn more about uh, how you can give uh, me victory in life and how that uh, I can do a better job as a husband and and I ask that uh, Mark and, and I could be helpful in telling other people about how to have victory because of what Christ has done for us. Mm -hmm. and, and I thank you for what uh, you have shown us in your scripture and for the power that you are uh, giving us to use it. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, John, we're not going to have time to um, deal with this. Uh, whole subject as thoroughly as as uh, I wish we could and you probably will want to review and I'm okay, glad well, to see you've got well I've been reading this and this is real helpful uh, the and I have really been enjoying your book the adversary and in fact I went out and got your your other book the uh, overcoming the adversary and I haven't read that yet but uh, this is real helpful in giving me a perspective of what's going on and how I can uh, honor God in, in my behavior. Well, that'll be a life. good source of review and, and uh, goes in a little more in depth into some of these things we're talking about. Well, it was very encouraging and, and helped me gain a better picture of what you've right. been telling me about. Let's just quickly review now. Okay. When we have our flesh uh, tempting us, uh, what's the first step? A walk of... Uh, honesty. Right. And and that's what happened this past week when I was uh, visiting with uh, my wife, Alice. We uh, were talking about some things, and then I find found out that in the process she had made some mistakes in the bank book. And uh, she's done that in the past several times, and it's real frustrating for me. I just get real upset about that. Your and, perfectionist uh, attitude, really. Well, with that, anyway, yeah. not necessarily in all areas of life, but it just drives me nuts. And yeah. uh, and she had made some mistakes, and as a result, because uh, being here, I we had some checks bounce, and it caused all sorts of problems, and 
and it didn't need to take place. So how'd you deal with it? Well, uh, I started getting real mad, uh -huh. and she knew I was getting real mad. She knows she knows that that's how I behave in that. But I remembered what you had said, and so I took that first walk of honesty, and I just told the Lord, "Here I go again." And uh, you told me I have a flesh that I'm going to continually have to deal with, and that anger and rage is one thing that uh, is going to continually be yeah. confronting me as a That's what God said. Savior. That's right. And so I just agreed that it was there, yes. and that it was coming on, and I was going to start behaving like I then what had did you before. Do? Well, then I remembered that you had said that there was a walk of death, and right. that in that Ephesians passage and the one in Romans said that... Uh, I was dead to right. all of that because of what Christ has done on the cross, right. and that I am a new creature. I'm not the same uh, creature that I was. And, and that's, that's just a that's matter that. of faith, of declaring truth, isn't it? And that it's simply, now I didn't necessarily feel that way. That's I felt right. mad. That's right. Uh, but uh, I just agreed with God that that was dead. And then you did what? Well, I moved on to the last walk of the Spirit, and I uh, simply told the Lord that I wanted the Spirit to empower me with those gifts that he gave me, and Wonderful. especially uh, of love and, and grace and compassion. And, and as I went through that process, uh, I didn't get uh, any matter. Didn't explode. Didn't explode. Didn't and quickly the anger subsided. subsided. That's right. And I was grateful for that. And Alice certainly yeah. was grateful for yes. that. Yes. Well, that's, you know, that's really exciting to it me is. as I'm a just real counselor to see you beginning to live out. Now, that's not to say I, did, I got mad yeah. some since I saw you last, yeah. but there was victory in this. That's and, wonderful. And I was real glad that it happened with uh, Great. Alice. Great. Well, we want to see how this interfaces and interrelates with our other two enemies. And I, I think it's especially important to understand the problem with Satan and his kingdom. If we give in to fleshly sins, we're going to get in trouble with the devil and his kingdom. And the Bible warns us of that. And uh, I'd like for you to turn to the third chapter. No, it's the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, you'll notice that this, this is really talking about the same thing, uh, which uh, we were looking at in Galatians 5 where he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Who are the Gentiles? Uh, me and everybody else yeah, are the Jews. It's non-believers, as it's used here. Okay. Uh, that's really what he's referring to. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding. He's talking about the sin nature and separated from the life of God. See, Christ hasn't come into them yet and uh, renewed them, brought their spirit to life. Um, uh, you notice, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality. There's moral sin. That was the first ones, remember, listed? The problem of moral sin so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You see, that's what happens to all of us. You give in to the sins of the flesh, and they get worse. You just keep building more and more, you see. And that's why he's warning so strongly here against it. He says, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. 
In other words, he's saying Christians don't have to be under the rule of their flesh. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard uh, to your former way of life to put off your old self, to be done with your rule of your sin nature, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. You invite the Holy Spirit, you see, to put his thoughts in your mind and uh, so on. And then he comes down. Uh, to say, uh, uh, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. And that's verse 25? That's right. Okay. And uh, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And here's your problem. In your anger, do not sin. Now, he recognizes anger is a part of you. You're going to face it. It's part of your flesh. But you don't have to sin, you see. And then he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, you see what happens in anger when you hold on to it. It turns to bitterness. And you just kind of get a bitter way of life. And instead of overcoming it like you did with Alice, you know, you just kind of explode and it just gets worse. See, there's this continual lust for more. But then he makes a marvelous warning. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now we're going to learn a very important lesson today. And I'm going to go back to our chart. I left it here so we could refer to it, John, again. Um, let me just step up here and uh, show you what he's talking about. He's talking about giving in to a sin of the flesh. Uh, anger is one of the sins of the flesh listed in both Colossians and Galatians 5. Um, so let's just supposing that you had practiced your anger the other day with Alice, and you'd been doing this for a long period of time as a Christian. What you're doing is what you're warned against there. You're giving place to the devil. Now we're not talking here about possession. We're talking about control. So that an unclean spirit, if you give him opportunity, and he could even have the name of anger, will begin to dictate to your mind and will and emotions that you're going to be angry. So when that happens, and it does happen in all of our lives, we've been defeated by, you know, anger, or a lot of men have trouble with moral temptation. We give in to it. It isn't long until you have a spiritual problem from the realm of darkness. Remember I told you that this kingdom of darkness, illustrated by these wavy lines, has a way of appealing directly to our mind, will, and emotions. And if we give him ground, as he warns there in that Ephesians passage, then he is going to really try to rule you. And your anger problem, John, becomes more than just a matter of the flesh. Now, there's a very important principle here. Now what do you do 
with a problem like that. You see, we need to understand that in your salvation, God has purchased you freedom from the rule of your flesh, from the rule of the world, and of course from the rule of Satan. But now you've got an additional problem, uh, something a little more severe than dealing with your flesh. Now let's just supposing you've given ground over a period of time and the anger's gotten worse. In fact, I like the way Galatians 5 puts it, calls it fits of rage, where you just really lose it and uh, go into a rage. Now it's good to be honest with your feelings and that's what you are when you're you still need to go through those three steps. And pretty soon this will be something that just becomes so much part of you as you practice it that you won't have to even think of those three steps. You just kind of go through them automatically uh, as you face the temptation. But if you have given ground to Satan, then, John, it's very important that you resist Satan and his kingdom. Uh, in a biblical manner. You see, God, and we're going to look at that in a minute, has given you authority over Satan and his kingdom. Now, I know you may find that a little bit uh, awesome to think about, but uh, it's very important to know that. So as a, as a Christian, uh, by my behavior, I can allow Satan to control me. That's right. But I have the power or authority as a Christian to not let that happen. Oh, you stated that so well. That's great. Now, let me, let me just suggest right at the beginning of our time today, then we'll look at it in a little more depth. Let me just suggest the importance of uh, uh, resisting Satan steadfast in the faith if you have given ground and you use those three steps uh, of your flesh, but you still find you're, you're just losing it. Well, right then is probably an indication that you've given ground to Satan. And so it's good now, to take it a fourth step. Now, what exactly do you mean by giving ground? Well, I think it's, it's a way of saying that uh, by your practice of the sin of the flesh, as it speaks here, you've given place to Satan, which means uh, he kind of has an open door to begin to rule you in that area of your life. And uh, so here's the way I suggest that you resist him. And this would be a fourth step to those three that okay. we looked at. And it's simple. Uh, you can word it this way. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his blood, you see, we only have authority over Satan uh, through his na the name of Christ and the power of his blood. And it's good to look, take the whole name, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his blood, I come against any wicked spirit of anger. Name him, you see, whatever you're feeling defeat in. And all of his host, and I add that because they usually work in groups. They try to bring others in to uh, begin to try to rule with them. Uh, so you just state it that way. I come against the wicked spirit of anger and all of his host. 
I command you to cease your wicked work against me, and I command you to leave my presence, and you must go where the Lord Jesus Christ sends you. That's resisting the devil and his kingdom, steadfast in the faith. Now, whenever you find us being uh, called upon to resist Satan, uh, we're also uh, called upon to humble ourselves and yield ourselves to God. So I always like to stress that. You've already done that, you know, in overcoming your flesh by inviting the Holy Spirit to control you. But I think it's good right at this point just to say, Lord Jesus Christ, I yield myself fully to you and to my Heavenly Father and to the Holy Spirit that you would do in me all that you want to do. And I want you to rule me and control me in every part of my person and being. Something of that nature. You need to make it your own. But it does need to be doctrinally sound. So I hope that little tool will kind of uh, help you to see that sometimes when we face sins of the flesh, we ought to take it that fourth step and resist any unclean spirit that uh, may want it to war against us. Okay. Now, let's, um, let's turn to the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Just like Galatians 5 is probably the classic New Testament passage on dealing with the flesh, Ephesians 6 is the classic New Testament passage on dealing uh, with Satan and his kingdom, how we overcome him. And I think perhaps it would be good for us just to read this passage. So I'm going to ask you to read, uh, uh, beginning with verse 10, you read five verses and then I'll read five verses. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of these, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, this is a concise passage. I wanted us to see it all because it really presents what we're up against when we battle with this infernal kingdom, the spiritually powerful kingdom. In fact, John, we kind of have um, even 
insight into how it's organized. I want you to see that. Look at verse um, uh, verse um, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against what? The devil's schemes. All right. Up here at the top, we have the devil. He's the commander-in-chief of this kingdom over which he rules and governs. So we've got, and you're going to see kind of a military organization unfold here. And uh, you'll notice, John, that it says that this kingdom comes pretty close to all of us as believers. Um, it says we struggle with it. Now, the King James translates that wrestle. I don't know if you ever wrestled. I feel like I wrestle a lot. Yeah. When I was in high school, I wrestled on a wrestling team. There isn't any sport that is quite as demanding as wrestling. And another unique thing about it, even though you've got a team wrestling with you, uh, when you wrestle, you're uniquely on your own. You're out there all by yourself, struggling with this enemy. Highly organized. First you have this uh, highest level. Now uh, notice in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What's that mean? Against uh, people. That's right. Our main struggle is not with other people, but against the rulers. Ah, we've got another level here called rulers. Um, some people call those princes or thrones or dominions. Here, he, this translation uses the word rulers. Now, let watch this, John. Apparently, each one of these rulers gets his orders directly from Satan. But each ruler has the next level under him. So that each one of these rulers has his own kingdom. All right, go on. Against the authorities. All right. So we have rulers. I'll just write an R here. And then authorities. And that separation by the word uh, against each time helps establish what he's talking about here is the organization. You see, in the different levels. So look at this. See, we've got each one of these rulers having a whole group of authorities. Now read on. Uh, against the powers. All right. This dark world. Here's another group. Powers. And once again, you have this structure, you see, so that each one of the authorities probably has a number of those. And then the final one is called what? Against the spiritual forces of evil. All right, I'm just going to put wicked spirits here. Uh, W.S. And uh, these, we don't know how many there are. Uh, we know that the man that Jesus met at Gadara uh, was troubled with a whole legion. Now, that was a case of complete control because he wasn't a believer, you see. But this is the organization we're up against. And what does he say? He says, we struggle with that. 
We wrestle with it, you see. Now you got to know how you overcome it, you see, and how you take a stand against it. So just keep that in mind as we uh, progress uh, in our study today, because we don't need to be afraid of that kingdom. Have you ever found yourself afraid of Satan? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, you're not alone. You know, most Christians, instead of understanding who they are in Christ, they're very fearful of Satan. I'm amazed at how often somebody will say to me, well, I just don't ever talk about the devil because I, don't, I just am afraid of him. Or uh, I've even had pastors say to me, I never preach about the devil because when I do, I always have lots of problems. And um, that's not the way we're to handle this very important subject. We're to be as straightforward as Paul is. And uh, remember I told you uh, about uh, being sure that when you come against a wicked spirit like anger, when you sense that he might be trying to control you, that you bind his host to him. And that's all those other layers. That's right. I'm going to try to illustrate it. Uh, you ever been a gardener? A little bit, yeah. Well, let's let this represent a weed, okay? Right. Now, all weeds have what? Roots. Right. And uh, uh, a gardener knows that, uh, that when you pull a weed, you don't dig down here and just pull out one root. You very carefully get a hold of the stem and you want to be sure that the whole thing is taken away so that there are no, re no roots down here to rebuild. Well, that kind of illustrates what, uh, what Paul is trying to tell us here is that we want to be sure we understand what we're up against and when you resist, the enemy and come against him, you bind everything to him that works with him. So uh, you can clean the whole uh, group out that may be troubling you. All right, I think that's a real important uh, thing to understand. But now I want to come to uh, just talk briefly about those three questions. Remember, we looked at about the flesh. First of all, we need to define with biblical definition what it is. And uh, then we need to understand how it's going to attack me. And then we need to understand what God has provided us for victory. Uh, the flesh is that old depraved sin nature we inherited from Adam. We didn't spend as much time on that perhaps as we should have, but you'll You'll study that in the book as you come to that discussion. And uh, now we need to ask ourselves, what is this kingdom? Well, we can't go into it in any depth, but in what we just did here, we helped illustrate that it's an organized system of supernatural spirit power beings ruled over by Satan, highly organized, highly structured, it hates us with a cruel hatred, and uh, they want to destroy you, and they want to rule you, and uh, defeat you. Uh, now, we don't want to become Satan-centered. We want to be God-centered. 
But part of under being God-centered is understanding your victory and applying it. You see, it's not enough just to know doctrinal truth about your flesh. You've got to use it every day you live. And that's true also about overcoming Satan and his kingdom. So maybe we ought to spend just a few moments uh, talking about ways in which Satan tempts us. We won't try to make this a thorough study, but uh, uh, let's just think about it a moment. Uh, he comes at us a little different way than the flesh does. Now, he'll take advantage of your flesh, as we've already seen, when you give uh, place. But uh, what are the ways in which he particularly wants to tempt us? Can you think of anything? Well, in, in terms of my anger, he'll I'll continually get in situations that I don't like and want to change and get mad about. Right. So that's, that's one way. So he can manipulate our circumstances, largely many times through even the world mm -hmm. uh, system. He will frustrate us. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I always like to stress, and this you see right in the temptation of Eve, uh, he tries to get you to question God, question what God said. Uh, have you ever found yourself uh, a little bit mm -hmm. tempted maybe to say, well... Uh, More than a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Satan's always around when that's happening. Okay. Um, that's one of the ways he really tries. In fact, he'll try to get you to make major decisions without bringing God into it. I mean by that uh, big job decisions, or uh, who you're going to marry, or um, uh, whether you're going to buy a house or not. Those are times in our lives when we really need to seek the Lord and ask for his special guidance and ask him to show us his will in a very deliberate faith toward him and not just uh, make quick decisions. God, that Satan may actually be around trying to divert us from the place the Lord wants us. Uh, another way he is very, very active is to make you afraid. Mm -hmm. I know that that's been some of the struggles you've had to deal with, mm -hmm. fear. You can always be sure when fear is seeking to rule you, John, that, that the enemy is behind that. He tries to make us afraid. Remember how he's spoken of in, in Peter as a roaring lion? Why does a lion roar? Uh, to let you know he's coming to get you. And usually it's to paralyze his victims with fear. Now, Satan roars like a lion. He's not really a lion. Mm -hmm. Who's the lion of oh. the tribe of Judah? Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, Satan's a counterfeit. And he's always trying to imitate uh, Christ. And so, as a lion, he roars. And you can be sure, almost without exception, uh, when fear is trying to get its hold on you, that there are powers of darkness. Well, isn't there some fear that's valid and that's okay? Certainly. 
certainly. And that's a natural sort of protection that God has made us aware of, that we, um, we don't just step out in front of cars or run across a freeway uh, because uh, that's a valid fear and it's a protecting thing. But what we're usually faced with when fear is caused by Satan and his kingdom is when the fear relates to the opposite of what God wants us to have, which is faith and trust and peace. And he makes us afraid. And uh, so we need to learn to resist some of these areas where he tempts us. He also tempts us to lie. Mm -hmm. That's another way he tempts us. And I know many of us in times of depression have been tempted to uh, take our own life. I don't know if you've ever faced that, but uh, it's not unusual. Well, Satan is defined by the Lord Jesus in John 8 as a murderer from the beginning. And he's a liar, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. So one of these are just some major areas that he tempts us. He wants to deceive us. So we believe Satan's lies. Now that's not exhaustive, but some of the major ways in which our enemy, the devil, and his kingdom try to rule over us and try to divert us from walking in faith and quiet confidence. Well, I can relate to those. Yes, it certainly is a very real problem that all of us face. In fact, Paul is telling us it comes very close to us. Now we need to try to understand something of how we have victory, uh, John, over uh, Satan and his kingdom. We do, because this is overwhelming, as organized as he is, and as many ways as he's got to to get at me and and you and Christians. That's right. Well, I want you to see in this classic passage that there are really four citadels of strength that make you invincible in your victory over Satan and his kingdom. That's really what Paul is talking about here. Notice how he puts it together. It's in that 10th verse of Ephesians 6. Um, He uses the word finally, you'll notice, there in verse 10. Now, that's a word that's pointing back really to everything he said in the previous part of Ephesians. It's a word of summation. So what he's really saying is, uh, uh, if you don't get this, then you're going to suffer defeat from the kingdom of darkness. So he says, be strong. Now that word strong is a very strong word, (laughs) both by its Greek imperative uh, and by the theological implication. It means to be invincibly strong, explosively strong against Satan and his kingdom. Now he gives us, in this passage, four ways in which we can be invincibly strong to resist Satan. The first one is in that short little phrase, in the Lord. That's kind of brief, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of the most 
oft-repeated phrases in the New Testament. And one of the most pregnant phrases I often say, because it has tremendous meaning. I didn't understand for years what that means. But it's a phrase that Paul uses over 40 times in this little book of Ephesians alone. Mm. Those words directly or their equivalent. In the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. Now what's he talking about? Well, John is talking about the fact that when you become a Christian, you are united with Jesus Christ. You're one with him. You're in the Lord. And you're in uh, union with him. Remember, we studied last time, your life is now hidden mm -hmm. with Christ in God. Yeah. yeah. That's a tremendous statement. In the Lord. But in the Lord means, and by the way, I want you to start using this when you resist Satan. And resisting Satan ought to be a part of our daily prayer life. And this marvelous way to worship God is to understand what these little phrases mean and then pray them back to God. For example, this is one of your citadels of strength and making you invincible over Satan. The fact that you're united with Christ. Let me just illustrate that. First of all, you're united with his name, Lord, Jehovah, Jesus, Savior, Christ, God's anointed. That name belongs to you. It's the most powerful name in the universe. Every knee is going to bow to his name one day. Things in heaven, things on earth, even things under the earth, seemingly referring to some of Satan's kingdom. Every knee will bow to him, and every tongue will confess them. He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it's good to pray his name over your life and your family, what you're doing in life. Uh, but it also means you're united with Christ in his incarnation, his humanity. You see, John, he became one of us. So as one of us, he would overcome sin in all of his forms. He'd overcome Satan. He'd overcome the world. And his victory's ours. He fulfilled all righteousness as a human being. And we can expect God's blessing because he sees us in Christ, you see. You're united with him in his cross. It was at his cross that he took away your sins. Yeah. yeah. And uh, defeated the devil. In fact, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, in his death he destroyed Satan. He brought his work to nothing. So you pray through this. You see, it's part of, of applying your victory, being strong in the Lord. You're united with Christ in his resurrection. Remember, we said since then you've been raised with Christ. We studied that last time. You're united with Christ in his ascension into heaven. He ascended up far above all principalities and powers. And mm -hmm. then in the second chapter of Ephesians, he says, he lifted us up and seated us there with himself. See, that's doctrinal praying. I never knew what it was to worship the Lord until the Lord taught me that. You're united with Christ in his glorification and in his second coming. 
So that's a great, great way to worship God. The second thing uh, that's a citadel of strength is that next little phrase. Would you read it there in verse 10? In his mighty power. Right. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. Whenever you find the mighty power of God referred to, applying and coming into our lives, it's by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples to wait at Jerusalem till they'd been endued with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not just someone you know by doctrinal study, someone you live with every day, as we've already said about the flesh, you see. And so you become acquainted with the Holy Spirit and all his ministries, his convicting ministry, his sealing ministry, his baptizing ministry, his filling ministry, his indwelling ministry, and so on. Seven ministries that I love to emphasize okay. of the Holy Spirit. And so you, you, you begin to worship the wonder of the Spirit of God being with you. And then, of course, you have uh, the next citadel of strength, which has to do with the whole armor of God. Now, this is the one that's the longest being discussed in this passage, because in the Lord, as discussed earlier in the book, and the power of his might, or the Holy Spirit's work, is discussed extensively earlier in the book. But this is the first place he really deals with the armor. So he takes us through each part of the armor. Now, we don't have time to really study that today, but that book, Overcoming the Adversary, is really a study of the armor and how to put it on. Okay. And, uh, and so it, it'll be very helpful to you to understand that every day you ought to put on the loin girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Now we come to the one that probably is uh, the most significant of all. And I say that somewhat guardedly because what can be more significant than being united yeah. with Christ or the Holy Spirit or the armor? But the reason this one is significant is that this is the way that you employ the other three. Mm -hmm. And read verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Right. Prayer and right kind of praying, John, is so important. I want you to learn doctrinal praying. And I'd like for you this week, before we meet again, if you would just practice praying okay. through your union with Christ, Okay. the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life okay. and putting on the armor and just making your life a prayer. This produces victory over Satan. This is how you resist him because you're united with Christ because of the personal... Do you know even the Lord Jesus cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit? specifically stated in the Gospels. That's the way he did it. So where are we to resist Satan without the Holy Spirit? We can't do it, you see. And then the armor, and finally, realizing the great importance of doctrinal praying. So I want to check with you next time as to how you've done.
Okay. I'm glad for what you're learning, and why don't we just take a moment to seal this with the Lord in prayer. Okay. Dearest Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we don't have to be afraid of the devil in his kingdom. We know that's one of his strongest weapons against us to make us afraid. But you have ordained that in our salvation, we would be an invincible people, able to stand with great courage against the enemy because we're united with Christ in all of his person and his work, because we have the Holy Spirit living right within us, and he brings the victory of our salvation into our personal lives and also addresses the victory of Christ against the devil. And we're thankful also that you've provided each part of the armor that we can appreciate and learn more about you as we put it on. And then thank you for the wonder of prayer. And I would ask you, Lord, to teach, teach in a very special way, John, this week, how to pray, how to begin to doctrinally pray, not just feelings and emotions, but truth that you've given him. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, John, for coming. And I hope that uh, what we've been sharing will be of great and infinite value to your life. It will. It's very encouraging. God bless you. God bless you.